And thanks for joining me. Chuck Morse here, Left Right Radio, every afternoon at 12 noon, right here at YouTube and affiliate stations. Bob Parks is with me today. And uh, Bob, you're a, uh, I would describe you as a Republican activist. Would that be right? Yes, uh, that would be quite accurate. Thank you. All right, Bob, tell me a little bit, because I've, I've, we've met before. Talk a little bit about your Republican activism, particularly in Massachusetts. Well, as you know, there was a need for some political balance in the Commonwealth. And so back in the early 2000s, before there was the benefit of, of widespread use of the Internet and social media, uh, I was working at a cable access channel in Athol. And um, I was totally surrounded, as as you know, as, as expected, by liberals. Mm -hmm. And all of the TV programming that came in at this cable access channel was all basically liberal. Anything from democracy now to sure. um, the local community colleges. And so my oh, boss, who knew I was a writer at the time, I just decided she asked me to actually produce a, a television show. So I did, and it. it got some momentum. I got uh, started getting some requests from out of state to send DVDs of the program. And um, it sort of took off from there. I, I got active with the Massachusetts Republican Assembly. And they I was honored that they elected me as a vice chairman, a vice president at, for a portion of time. Um, there was also a need for messaging in the mass GOP. So I believe it was 2007, I ran against uh, with a, a you know, crowded field. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people who felt that there was a need for for um, a different direction of the mass GOP, and we all ran. Um, and uh, Peter Torkelson won, and I believe we all know, remember how that turned out. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And um, so in 2009, I was offered a, a, to move down to Virginia to create a, a video department for the Media Research Center. Now it is called uh, the website is called MRC TV. And uh, we were very successful. A lot of our, our video, uh, we started doing things that other conservative websites weren't doing at the time. Um, for example, the use of widescreen. Mm -hmm. uh, we were the first to do that. We started right. doing digital tags. And there was a lot of things. And we got a lot of recognition. Um, our, a lot of our videos wound up on Fox News and, and other um, national news outlets. So it was very successful. Yes. You know, the uh, whole business of cable television is one of those uh, hidden gems. It's free. You can produce a program yourself in your local community, go on the air, do interviews. And one of the things about it is that they show it over and over again. And, uh, I mean, I, I did this in my own hometown at the time of Brookline. I live in Boston now. And also I had it running in Newton because if you have someone sign on to it, you could get a run in the neighboring community. And they kept showing it over and over again. And within maybe four, three or four months, people were stopping me in the street. People were recognizing me. Eventually, it was one of the factors that led me to actually run for Congress in 2004. Um, and people, it, the potential of doing this nationally is there. Um, you mentioned Democracy Now!, Amy Goodman. They do a very good job with that. They probably have... 60, 70 stations where they just get people that know them in communities all across the country to sign a paper requesting the program, and then they send it over. And before you know it, they've got a national show. And then, of course, it's uh, the other great phenomenon now is what you and I are doing right now, which is right here at BTV and Facebook. I can do this program every day at noon. I can download it into YouTube. Then I download it into another platform, which goes up on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, a bunch of other people. And uh, you can build a program. And there's no, you know, you can actually build your own network, really. It's quite incredible. So uh, you are really on the cutting edge, Bob, in terms of media, getting, you know, learning how to use the new media and getting messages out in a way that is not censored or varnished. I mean, unfortunately, I now hear that, um, you know, and, and I've seen based on congressional testimony that Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and Google are censoring conservative conversations. So that sets up another hurdle for me. I didn't expect that. But whatever. I mean, I'm not I can't say I'm surprised. 
Well, and, and agreed. It, and one of the things that you mentioned and something that I was trying to tap into back in the early 2000s, especially with Republicans, was the use of cable access. It was something that I totally took for granted. I mean, cable access really has a bad name after movies like Wayne's World sort of made it look like it was right. a, a real um, um, marketplace for the real fringe. And there was a lot of that kind of programming was coming in. But at the same time, it is, for the most part, free. And if you, if you get somebody to sponsor you. So if you are a candidate, if you are an activist, if you are a Republican who had a message, this was a way to get it out there without having to rely on, on local or national radio or television, which will filter and dilute your message. You could get it out there for as long as you wanted. And it was like pulling teeth, trying to get this through to people in the hierarchy of the, of the mass GOP. And I think you can also say that, that that is also a reflection of what's going on nationally, where they rely on these people, especially the conservative activists, and I hope we get to this later, who yes. all want to be stars. They all want to be leaders. And the ultimate goal for a lot of these people, it's not getting the message out. It's getting the message out through Fox News. They all want to be Fox News contributors. And as someone who has been on Fox News and a lot of these other cable TV channels, it's really an overrated experience. It's, sure. but, but what they look for is personal marketing personal fame, monetary reward. And it's unfortunate that our quote unquote leaders are forsaking the message for their own personal aggrandizement. No, I mean, I think that what you're talking about here is explains why many of our conservative leaders, our thinkers, our movers, our shakers, that they kind of become what we've euphemistically called rhinos. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they become basically me too liberals because, you know, they want to they want that public massage that you get, you know, on the liberal stations when suddenly the, the door swings open. Come on in, you know, um, and, uh, you know, to take to to really go out and take conservative positions, you know, you're going to get crap thrown at you like you wouldn't believe. And nobody it's hard to take that. You know, people you know, it's not it's not for everyone. It's not an easy path. So, you know, people take the easy path. They kiss up to the liberal media, and it is predominantly liberal. And they uh, they try to end up playing the game. You know, mention somebody like Peter Torkelson, not to single him out, but you know what I mean. Well, for example, John McCain. John McCain was somebody over the years who loved to bash his own party. So he was always invited on MSNBC and CNN. Remember, they called him the Maverick. And so because he, he would go against his own party. But then when he decided to run in 2008 and he got the Republican nomination, all of a sudden the liberal media knives turned on him. And he was like a deer in the headlights. He did not know what happened because he didn't expect it. He thought he was loved. But you know something? Liberals will never love us. And for him to be so naive, I think it's totally indicative of what we have when it comes to conservative leadership. It's so disheartening to see people who are embraced by the conservative hierarchy and, and thrown at us as the next rock star without them doing the slightest bit of vetting. And I can give you examples. We have, remember Joy Villa. She wore that Trump dress at the Grammys. Everybody was in love with her. I, we, you know, Laura, my wife and I, we, we went on, and, on social media and we were aghast to see conservative men. Oh, she's hot. And all the conservative women, oh, I love the dress. And they were seal clapping. Meanwhile, well, you know, that's the eye of the beholder. But at the same time, you, with the slightest, the slightest bit of vetting, you find out she was a Bernie liberal. She did not vote for Donald Trump on election day. She, in fact, she referred to him as one of the two crazies. And you, you just keep on digging. You found all of this stuff and you're saying, why is she on Fox News? Why is she now in the Trump circle hanging out with the family and going to the White House? She was not vetted. And, then, and, and we can get to Candace Owens in a minute. She's the latest. 
Yes. Everybody's calling her brilliant and articulate and all this kind of stuff. You do some digging on her and you'll find that she was a liberal brought in to Turning Point USA with Charlie Kirk as damage control because one of his former employees referred to blacks with the F word. She was busted, so they had to bring in somebody to show they were not racist. And so now she's out there with all of these pearls of wisdom that, you know, has been said before. But, of course, when it, when it comes to millennials and their frame of reference, if they say it, it has never been said before, and they are just all that. Right. They're, they're, they're very special people. Um, you know, but yet President Donald Trump seems to be an exception to this. He goes out there and he just says stuff that's sometimes it makes all of us cringe. But the point is that he's, uh, you know, genuine. It's unusual. He's genuinely um, more himself and more plain spoken than than any candidate I can't imagine I've ever seen. I mean, I, 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 it's a phenomenon. I mean, one remark that he made is is indicative in that uh, early in the campaign, he was asked by a reporter. He's like, how are you going to respond to? the charges that you're rich and that you're super, you know, you have a lot of money. I mean, remember Mitt Romney was attacked for that. And, you know, are you going to, you're going to fall into the same trap? And his answer was amazing. I mean, he was like, well, first of all, I'm a Mitt Romney's not really rich. I'm rich. It was incredible. It's like he wasn't going to play the ball with, with these people with this kind of like, you know, assumptions of class envy and class consciousness and, you know, hyper race consciousness, you know, he's where every word he says has to be put under the microscope, you know. Well, for example, you remember, we've had decades of diplomacy and trying to get things done around the world. And we, we have to go through this process. Meanwhile, Donald Trump comes around, comes along and calls um, little Kim, Rocket Man, they're all freaking out now, the, the diplomats, because Donald Trump's about to start World War III. And what has happened now? Yeah. All of a sudden, the people who were the most learned, they were proven wrong. In, in less than two years, Donald Trump has reversed the whole problem on the North and South Korean border. The two sides got together and, and hung out last weekend. Yeah. And now there's even talk, finally, belatedly, that Donald Trump should be up for the Nobel Peace Prize for doing something these high-paid diplomats haven't been able to do because they all thought in their learned wisdom, in their, in their punditry uh, amongst themselves, that it could never be done unless one of them did it. You know, I, I'll say that uh, they better build extra girdings on the Tobin Bridge if Trump wins the Nobel Prize. All the liberals will be crowding up there to commit suicide. But um, you know, they're absolutely flipping out. But but in a way, it's it's a situation such that the world leaders and this country, people genuinely in their gut, know that when Trump says something, he really means it. Like when Trump talks about strengthening the border and building the wall. You know, there's a great YouTube video that shows Obama saying this, essentially, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Mitt Romney, you know, we could go back, you know, they all said it, but everybody knew that it was a bunch of BS. They weren't really, they didn't really mean it. They were just saying it for public consumption. Whereas when Trump says it, he means it. Same thing with North Korea. You have those posturings, you know, always in this kind of phony sounding British accent, you know, like a John Kerry and, you know, but Everybody knew it was a bunch of BS. Nobody, they didn't really mean it, whereas Trump does mean it, and Kim knows he means it. And so, you know, there, there's a bluntness and there's a directness, and he has put aside the language of totalitarianism, as it was described by French scholar Elaine Benescon. You know, this kind of double talk, this diplomatise, where everything is double meanings, and it's all a series of innuendo and sophistry. He puts that aside. He doesn't live in that world. You know, it's the first time this country has elected a businessman as president. The first time we've elected someone who's not been in government as president. And he doesn't operate in that world. He's just, he's blunt. He, he engages in, uh, you know, deal making and he means it. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. I think it's, it's, it's quite revolutionary, actually. 
Well, it, it, the genius of, of Donald Trump from the very beginning, and Laura found something that I had said, I think it was back in 2011, that Donald Trump would have been a great candidate for president because if you, if you remember all of the presidential elections that in our lifetime, the, the Republican has not only had to go up against the Democrat nominee, but he's also had to go up against the media. So it's basically always a two-on-one. It was always a power play against the Republican. And Donald Trump, from the very beginning, decided to, and, and accurately so, and most effectively so, went out and took out that extra component, the, the, the media. Yeah. He went after them. He targeted them. He made them the enemy. He, he made them the opponent. And he basically nullified them and made them a joke, fake news, all that. He just took them out because that has always been the biggest impediment to a Republican. I mean, when it's great when you have a wing of the Democrat Party on your uh, on your shoulder basically just helping you along. And, of course, that's what Hillary needed. Hillary always needs a boost in anything she's done. She's always needs somebody to plow the, the way. But one of the biggest problems, too, when it comes to someone like Donald Trump, most of the problem, obviously, yes, it's coming from the deep state, the, those people who are resisting the, the changes to the Obama legacy and all that. But we also have problem with our, again, quote unquote, conservative leaders. To be consistent, I've always been against unelected leaders. For example, whenever something happens in the black community, CNN and Fox News will go and find Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. Yeah, and they'll come and speak to him us. in the black community. I mean, well, we're, we're, well, we black people seem to be the only group in this country that has unelected leaders, spokespeople to come yeah. and speak and, any, and, and interpret for the rest of the nation what's going on. We have the same thing in the conservative movement. Lots of people who have co-opted, take positions, and a lot of times, these, some of these people are embarrassments when we find out who they really are, and they make us all look like fools because they were out on Fox News and on cable news networks and on prominent um, publications online and in print speaking for us. And a lot of them were wrong. We have all these people who, who were never Trumpers. And, and they, they pick unsavory characters anyways. I mean, it's sort of like the the official Republicans, you know, the court Republicans or the House black people. I mean, they pick them and they're chosen and then propped up. And then you have Kanye West come along. Well, what, what do I mean? And, you know, I, I have to tell you that um, the reaction to his simply and mildly saying that he loves Trump, all of a sudden I'm hearing uh, progressive radio. I'm hearing uh, CNN they're questioning his sanity. Mm -hmm. In other words, they're saying that he's mentally ill because of this. I mean, that's what they do in like, you know, communist countries, you know, like with the opposition, you know, that they try to, you know, that, that these people are to be listened to because there's something wrong with them. You can't take them seriously, pay no attention to them. It's really, really ugly. I mean, of course, when he was criticizing Bush, he was held up as a great hero. Well, the, the thing is, too, and it's that... Um it's not really an un, un, unwritten thing, but if you're black in, in America, you are basically denied the, the First Amendment freedom of assembly because you're supposed to be a Democrat. And so any deviation opens you up for demagoguery. Liberals love to get racist. I mean, they show their real roots when a black person decides to either be a Republican or espouse conservative and Republican views. Oh, and, and all bets are off. You can call him, uh, you know, and, and uh, for the sensitivity of your audience, no, and word and, yeah. and every adjective that goes along with that. Oh, yeah. No, this it's all, I mean, the, the look what they did to Clarence Thomas. Mm -hmm. I remember the uh, Nation magazine, left-wing magazine, had him on their cover as a lawn, piece of lawn furniture. I mean, talk about racist and insulting images i mean and and then they put uh, condoleezza rice looking like aunt jemima i mean right. this is you know can you imagine i mean that the outrank racism of this i mean if a conservative had done it here in massachusetts we could point to jackie robinson he had the audacity to write against ted kennedy the way he was ripped from head to foot i mean every little detail of his personal life the kind of stuff that generally is no one's damn business and would have been overlooked if he'd been liberal 
I mean, it was really disgusting. And this is what happens. I mean, this is why, you know, it kind of keeps people in line. You know, you take a look at that and you're thinking, hey, geez, I don't want to go through that. I've got a family. I've got a career. It could be destroyed. So everybody keeps their head low. You know, I think that liberals, I mean, it's so nasty and it's so authoritarian in nature that people get the message early on. They get the message when they're in college, mostly just to keep their head low, you know, get through it. And, and they go through an internal process where they convince themselves that this is good and that liberalism is right. And that if you stay liberal, you get all the rewards. You get the pretty girls, you get you know, the, the positions, you get you're one of the beautiful people. Whereas if you step out of line and even think differently than that, you, you know, they hold up an example. I mean, once in a while they have somebody publicly lynched, you know, there's an auto da fe, as they, as they call it in the Middle Ages. And, and people look at that and they go, oh, no, no, they, I, I can't let that happen to me, you know. So people, I think, internalize this sort of left-leaning way of being without really thinking it through too much. They don't really know what they believe. At their core, they don't believe in anything. They just have a sense that they're good because they're one of the good people. They don't have to do anything. It's very easy. Well, as as Rush Limbaugh said many times, it might have been one of his early books, that liberalism is one of the easiest ideologies to conform to because it's basically based on your benevolence and your altruism. You want to help this person, help that person. You don't have to worry about where the money comes from. As long as you say you want to help this person, you're sensitive to that person's feelings, then then you're you're in. It's very easy. It's very lazy. It doesn't require a whole lot of intellectual thought. Um, but again, when when it comes to people like Kanye West, now, now again, be very careful. I'm not talking to you, but I'm just saying, be very careful when all these people are rushing, as as especially as conservatives love to do. Whenever a black face appears, this is another opportunity because the left has so demonized Republicans as racist over the decades that as soon as a black person comes along and says the right thing, especially if it's a conservative ideal, then all of a sudden he, that person is quickly embraced without looking at the possible motives. Kanye West is a Kardashian. Everything they do is about self-promotion and marketing. Yeah. Is this something that is edgy? That I mean, Kanye is getting a lot of attention. Prior to him latching on to, to Candace Owens, mm -hmm. we hadn't heard from Kanye you know, in a while. He might have been, doing, okay. might have been making music that none of us listen to. But at the same time, there was there was no Kanye buzz until this. Now all of a sudden, everything is Kanye West. Is this just for marketing? You have to be skeptical when it comes to people like this, especially when they are so quickly embraced by conservatives who, at time and time again, can't do the the least amount of of research and background checking on these people. Well, it's because we're so so needing of somebody to in the culture to come up and make a make a mark. And um, I don't know, even if he is an opportunist, I still think it's good. You know, it, and it potentially could be earth shattering in, in terms of um, changing the demographic because, you know, minorities and millennials also, I think that's a natural constituency for Donald Trump. Um, it's a matter of people waking up. Recently, there was a poll done that indicates that um, Trump's support among black men has gone up 18 percent, which is significant. Um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I'm Jewish and we're not going to get support for Trump among my community either here. But um, in spite of the fact that he's recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which is one of the most pro-Israel things done since Truman. Never mind that, you know, because it's if it had been Obama doing that, they would have been dancing in the front of the synagogue with the, with the Torah scrolls, you know, and singing and weeping. But because it's Trump, everything is like, oh, you know, it's all quiet and it, you can't even mention it at the Seder table because you can't say anything good about Trump. It's a bizarre thing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we could get into the psychology of that. Uh, but putting it aside, I think that if, if Donald Trump and if the conservative movement can peel off even one or two percent of the Jewish vote, of the black vote, of the minority vote, then that's going to be an earth change. That's going to be a, a huge shift in the way things are happening in this society. Well, that's something I've been saying for years, that the um, the national elections routinely are very, very even, as you saw just in the last presidential election we had. And if 
a Republican were managed to be able to get you know ten or fifteen percent of the of the black vote, that usually swings elections. Oh yeah, and, that's huge. You know, and the and the same with you know the Jewish population. Yeah. Unfortunately, when it comes to a lot of blacks and Jews, um, the Democrat Party has going back to their roots of ownership when it comes to human beings. Uh, they own those two constituents to the point where any any deviation sets you up for humiliation and ridicule within your families. Exactly. And, I mean, it's some, it's something you you don't dare talk about during Thanksgiving dinner, less being ganged up on. In black families, you can get disowned. Um, so you you and I both can speak to this. I mean, I was told at Thanksgiving right after Trump's victory that it would be a a Trump free zone which uh, I didn't care. I had a nice meal. I had a lot of wine. I just sneered at people. But, um, you know, this is, what, this is what we're looking at. Now, the midterm elections are coming up. I'm hearing talk from the progressives about the great blue wave. It's scary stuff because they want to – it's not so much that they want to criticize Trump. They want to take him out of office. You know, I think there is a conspiracy to – impeach him to overthrow the government. And it's fairly open. If you listen to MSNBC and people like Rachel Maddow and, and whatnot, they're, they want to take him out. You know, they don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about the fact that he was duly elected. They, they concocted this crazy cockamamie conspiracy theory about collusion with Russia, and they're going to ride that thing. And, and Mueller is like a dirty cop who's out there you know, playing, playing the, the game of it. To the point where now they're going to put his, his personal life, his sex life, under a microscope. It's gotten that ugly. What do you think? I mean, it seems like they're only running on one thing, which is hate Trump. I, I personally, I don't think that that's going to carry it. What do you think? Well, let's put it this way. If I could predict what's going to happen in November, I probably would, would uh, go to Las Vegas and put in a, a get, buy a ticket for a Super Bowl uh, yeah. for next year. Uh, I don't think anybody knows. Right. Um, and anybody who tells you they do, well, we've seen how many of them have been proven wrong. The, I think the biggest problem that the left has is that they've been acting like a bunch of petulant children who didn't get their way. Um, Chuck, you're a, um, a Patriots fan, I'm sure. Yeah. You know the rules of football. The rules of football are to score more points than the other team. Right. If you remember in this last Super Bowl, then the Philadelphia Eagles got more overall yardage than the Patriots did. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, oh, actually, let me take it back. The Patriots got more yardage than yeah. Philadelphia. Okay. But we don't determine the winner and loser based on total yardage. We get maybe based on points. Going into the presidential election, Hillary Clinton understood, just like all the Democrats, that it was the electoral college that determines who wins the presidency, not the popular vote. But once they lost the election because Hillary was not as energetic, if you remember the last few few days of the election, Donald Trump was in three, four, five places in a a day flying around trying to get those blue states to come along while Hillary was basically coasting because the the media told her she was going to. Oh, they were so convinced, yeah. It was unbelievable. so now they lost the election on the Electoral College, and so they tried to move the goalpost literally and say, that, "No, this was this should have been about this should have been about the the popular vote. We won the popular vote, even though that's not how you determine elections." Right. So they've been on sore loser mode ever since. I have I don't think any of us have seen anything like this resistance. Oh, I mean, it's so organized, and they 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 march and and they they fundraise off of Trump hate constantly because they didn't get their way in the election so and you know and liberals are very good at doing this whether it's an initiative that they lost um a voter initiative that they wanted a certain way and then if they don't get it they'll find a judge to overturn the will of the people the will of the people that they say they so often say that they they celebrate they will always do what they can and so this whole thing about trying to take back the house not so they can make people's lives better because obviously um, overturning in the Obama legacy is sacrilege as far as they're concerned. But um, I mean, I'm giving people a basically choice for their health care again, bad thing. 
Um, lower taxes, more money in your wallet, bad thing. You know, good thing, yeah. So, you know, they, so yeah, this is what they're running on. Right now, they, they're, they're, the DNC is trying to sue Donald Trump because he colluded with the Russians. We're just hoping that this doesn't get thrown out of court. Would, I'd love to see it go through because discovery yeah, would be so much fun. To oh, see. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, of course, the, one of the things that would come out is the real collusion that happened between the DNC and Hillary Clinton to freeze out Bernie Sanders and his supporters and the whole superdelegate thing. Not to mention collusion with Russia. Well, yeah, where that that's dossier. They were colluding with Russia than Trump. I mean, between the Iranian One deal where they gave up about I think it was twenty percent of America's uranium supplies to a Russian front company in exchange for hundred fifty million dollars in the Clinton Foundation, and Bill Clinton flown into Moscow to give a speech for half a million bucks, to uh, right up to the Steele dossier, which was a Russian, uh, the information supplied by the Russians was paid for by Hillary Clinton. Putting that aside. The attack on on Trump, it's you're absolutely right about the fact that it's they're sore losers. They don't want to be out of power. They crave power. They're all about power. That's their entire raison d'etre. I think it's even more fundamental than that. In that, the opposition to Trump includes liberal Republicans. It includes um, you know the top one percent wealthiest people in this country who are overwhelmingly liberals. It includes internationalists, it includes globalists, it includes nations around the world, because Trump represents something that is waking up the beast. He is calling, it seems simple, but it's, it's very profound when he says that he supports putting this nation first and the American people first, and that he, he's a believer in national sovereignty. This is an earthquake on the world scene, which has been moving more toward creating a world informal order where you have unelected people basically running everything and you know nation states exist but they're kind of almost like window dressing it's like it's like the provinces of the world i mean barack obama before he was elected he went to berlin where he spoke about being a citizen of the world that's what they love trump actually is questioning that he's standing up against it he's influencing other world leaders to do the same and that is such a threat to this establishment view, and that, that that's really, I think, a large part of this move toward, toward removing him from office or making him ineffective. And, um, you know, I'll just point out that while I pray for Trump's safety every day and, and I pray for his success, if we lose Trump for whatever reason, this issue has to continue. This is what he stands for. This is the Trump revolution, and it's a simple one. It's a common sense one. You put your nation first, just like you put yourself and your family before other things. I mean, the animal kingdom understands this. Animals know that they put themselves first. It's a basic, natural thing to do. But it runs contrary to this international, artificial edifice that the left has been building for about a century. Well, and, and I, I, while I agree with that, I don't think we can confine it just to the left. Um, if you remember, part of the tradition that follows every convention, and especially on the Republican side, that you set aside the differences from all the candidates who won, and we all coalesce, we all unite behind the nominee. This last time, we did not have that. We had never-Trumpers, never-Trumpers who spoke ill of Donald Trump all the way up until Election Day. A lot of these unelected leaders, some of them worked in government, and they were the unelected bureaucratic type who managed to be able to get themselves on cable news channels so they could continually bash Donald Trump. But we also had way too many in the conservative movement. Sure. People like Dana Lesh, like Brent Bozell, Katie Pavlik, Mark Levin. There's a, the list goes on. Ben Shapiro. All of these people, none of whom we elected, none of whom we we. Gay, we, we as a collective said, we want you to be our leaders and go on and speak for us. No, they took those mantles from the, for themselves to fundraise for themselves, to, to pay for themselves in fairly opulent lifestyles and go out and speak against it. How much easier, what would have been the margin of victory for Donald Trump if there was no never Trump movement, if it just went away after Ted Cruz was defeated and 
Donald Trump got the nomination, there was no shenanigans trying to steal delegates, as we saw here in Virginia. Ted Cruz's people were trying to steal the delegates, and this was this went on in Colorado. This went on in a whole bunch of states. And if there was unity, Hillary did. And if, but if there was unity, none of these conservative leaders who went up against Donald Trump were bashing Donald Trump all the way up until election. They have apologized for the damage they have done to the party. None of them. Absolutely. In fact, what they are doing, they are on television and on their websites instructing us now how to support Donald Trump. Like nothing they said counted before. But at the bottom of all of their web pages, there's that donate button. Oh, yeah. And I get that. Um, Bob, which brings up an issue that is relevant to the upcoming midterm, and that is, is there, I mean, I've heard this from the left. I had a left-wing guy on my show yesterday, and maybe this is a left-wing talking point, but is there this divide in the Republican Party between the, you know, the hate Trump crowd and the pro-Trump crowd that is going to basically lead to uh, disunion and and a, and a, a collapse on both of both houses. Well, you know, amongst the people, I don't think that that is the problem. But when it comes to those people who work on campaigns, there are, and I'll and I'll tell you just from experience in 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 observing what's going on here down in here in Virginia, there are never Trumpers who were Ted Cruz people before who are now. The, these a lot of these these campaign people just sort of leech their way from one campaign to another. You've seen it in Massachusetts, yeah, I've seen okay. that. And so we've got never Trumpers. We have people who were basically in opposition to some of the very candidates they work for now. So they are, if anything, giving a mediocre effort. They don't really care win or lose, they get paid, and then they're just going to jump to the next campaign. I mean, in the last presidential campaign, we heard, we heard with the different candidates, people who worked on the Dole campaign, who are now working on this campaign, and worked on the Romney campaign. They worked on the McCain campaign. They worked for the losers, and they seem to still be able to slip in like the ooze into the, into, and they were trying to get into Donald Trump's campaign, and unfortunately, we see a lot of these people now in the administration. All the people who really worked hard for Donald Trump were frozen out by Rince, Rince cycle, as we called it, Rince Priebus. When he yeah. became the chief of staff, he absorbed all of these people. The head of the RNC, Rona McDaniel, what did she do before she was the head of the RNC, outside of being a housewife? She's not a head. What has she done? Right, well, right. These, are, these, are the, these are the clowns that are now. So I, as far as the, the, the people the Republicans out, you know, who who love Donald Trump, support Donald Trump. That's not that's I don't think that's the problem. The problem is going to be those who are running the campaigns. Yeah, those are the people who are, are who are not really motivated. They're no. the mediocres and they're the ones running the campaigns. You get people like Ed Rollins. I don't know if he's still around. But, you know, the, yeah. you know, they're, they're hacks. I mean, uh, the, how Roe comes to mind. You know, they're just uh, paid flax who come in and they they'll work. It's a business for them. Um, you know, they, they play both parties, of course. Uh, you know, they're just, uh, you know, they're leeches, as you say, Bob. And um, I, I think that Trump understands that. I think he gets that. You know, he's looking for quality people. I think he's finally beginning, at least it appears to be the case, to get better people around him now. I don't know what you think, but I mean, I think that um, people like um, uh, Pompeo and, um, and um, you, you know, um, you know, others. I mean, I think these are better people who actually want to put the interests of the country first. Um, you know, I, I get the sense anyways. Um, Bolton is another example. What, what do you think? Well, you know, and, and I and I don't mean to keep quoting this person, but I like to give attribution because it's unfair. Rush Limbaugh made a great point of, a few weeks ago, and yeah. it's something I never thought about. When when it comes time to to staff a presidential administration, you and I may think we know a lot of people who would be good for this position, that position. Uh, if but if you were thrust into the 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 Oval Office and to sit in that chair. 
And all of a sudden, off the top, you'd need to have to name off all these people that you'd want to put to fill hundreds of positions. You couldn't do it. Right. So you'd have to rely on somebody who knows some of these people, some of the players, and they know some people. But it, it also depends on getting off to the best start possible. By bringing in Rince Priebus, oh, yeah. he first was announced as, as the chief of staff after the, the hurdles that he put Donald Trump through with the pledge and all that stuff on the, leading up to the Republican nomination. For him to bring Rince in was a real head, head scratcher for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were just aghast here at, at that pick. Of all the people, we weren't very enamored. Also, with Bannon, I mean, Bannon—he ran a website. Big deal. Um, there are lots of other people, but again, it's the people who were close to leadership, unelected in some cases, who were able to slip in and then make their influence known. And and basically, but hopefully. Now that, you know, and, and between now and the end of Donald Trump's second term, he can do enough to make sure that the right people are in the right places. The frauds and the leeches are basically pushed out. And because, you know, like you were saying earlier, if he does one term, there's not enough time to to undo all that Obama and the, the Democrats have done over the decades to undo that. Right. And it's going to go back to normal. No, you're right. And even the short time he's been in office, I think we could say, and this is in spite of all of these, you know, kind of low energy ground bottom feeders that are all over the place in Washington. He has accomplished more than any president since FDR. Mm -hmm. It's been an extraordinary presidency. I mean, it's um, by even his enemies would have to admit. I mean, the record is amazing. He's he seems to be able to get in and get stuff done. You know, you may not want to give him credit for it, but uh, and I do because every president gets credit for what happens in his watch. But the the results are extraordinary, both the tangible results, but also the cultural results, the the change in the way we see ourselves and the way we see our our government, our governance. His attack in the media is brilliant. I mean, I hear the left here complaining and renting their shirts and saying, oh, he was. You know, this is like, you know, totalitarianism. Nonsense. The media is the totalitarian entity. You know, they've gotten away with this fake news. I mean, you and I know this going back. They've been getting away with this for decades. They create, I mean, not to criticize, but they created Barack Obama out of nothing. Mm-hmm. He was, so he was fixing parking tickets in Chicago. All of a sudden, he's the president. You know, this is, you know, this is what the way they operate. They can get, they, you know, they, they, they create things and they destroy other things and Trump is just calling them out finally and doing so brilliantly I would argue and changing the way they operate changing the rules of the game so you know I would say to to even liberals and to uh, to others that whether you like him or not we should thank him for that because he is getting at certain I don't want to say capital C corruption but I certainly would say corrupt mindsets, corrupt practices, uh, rather calcified views of things, and he's shaking it up. So, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Well, I think also one of the brilliant aftermaths also of the Donald Trump election is that he has basically blown up this whole myth when it comes to liberal tolerance and inclusion. We have been told for decades that they are the party of compassion. They are the, the party of free speech. And we have seen through their defeat by Donald Trump that they are anything but tolerant, inclusive. They basically call anyone who disagrees with them a hater, but they are the ones who take to the streets as they normally have, but their protests recently have become more increasingly violent. I mean, um, they go, you know, their supporters, whether it's, you know, Bernie or Hillary, um, they go out and they commit crime. They shoot congressmen on baseball fields. Um, We didn't have this before, but now Donald Trump has so pissed them off 
the fact that uh, that you have all of these psychiatrists now doing their duty to warn parade around the country, trying to prove and going against the Goldwater rule and diagnosing Donald Trump without actually sitting down with him. So they're violating everything that are the norms and trying to get him thrown out based on the 25th Amendment. I mean, they're pulling out everything they've got. And every time Donald Trump just sort of swats them away and makes them look foolish, even making them more crazy. But we're actually getting to see the, the left as who they are. And I think it's it, again, it's as you as so, so eloquently put it, it's, it's showing the, the brilliance of Donald Trump, who does not who did not come into this campaign, either totally knowledgeable or willing to play with by their rules. And he's basically just. They said, no, this is how we're going to do it. And, and, and basically, he's very unpredictable. I mean, he, yeah. he would work well with, on, the, on the sideline with Bill Belichick because he jukes one way and goes the other. And the results are victory after victory after victory. There, there is no there, the, the playbook is developed weekly instead of the playbook being for the whole season that everybody can dissect and adjust to. He's, he's one of the, first, the only people that I've seen in modern politics. He's not beholden to anybody. He didn't take big money to run. He basically was self-financed. You know, he's, uh, I think he's 70 now, and he doesn't really have anything to prove. He's been famous. He's been rich. He's had a great life. And I think that he's doing this because he wants to, and he said so, and I believe it. He wants to give something back to the country. He wants to do something bigger than what he's done in his life. You know, he's at the end of the his era and he wants to um, give back you know I mean it's it's an extraordinary thing I mean it's sort of a lot of very rich people are like that in a way I mean Bill Gates comes to mind whether you like his politics or not he's made big money I mean he's now giving something back with his philanthropy whether it's good or bad the point is that I think that's where Trump is um, as a person I think that's who he is right now and um, I mean I'm just grateful for it it's like it's amazing that he's stepped up like this he doesn't need this. You know, people on the left have said, oh, he's making money from this. And they, they, they throw out the charge of emolument, which is a complete lie because he's not making money. He's actually losing money. His children are losing money. Well, his brand's been damaged. I mean, everything because of the left. But, you know, here's another thing with Donald Trump and compared to a lot of these pundits and all that. Donald Trump's actually created something. He's had, he has a successful business. And he knows how to run it in a successful manner. All these people that we listen to, whether it's the pundits, whether it's the activists or the leaders or whatever, what have they actually created? Just a lot of hot air. A lot of these people write and they talk, but they haven't created anything. So Donald Trump is now actually at the point where he wanted to give back because for decades he's watched the people who do the talking and do the writing and the, and the politicians basically screw the American people. And he's been talking about this for years, whether you, you look back at some of his his, his uh, interviews on Oprah or with all these other places, where he's com consistently been, been decrying the screw job that the American people have been getting from our politicians, from the policymakers, from those inside the government who are unelected, the bureaucrats. He's been complaining about this for a long time. And so he just probably got to the point in his career where he said, enough is enough. I'm going to do something about it now while I can. And you know something? As a business person who needs, who likes results, he decided he, and I'm sure he's had lots of time to observe, probably from a better vantage point than the average person, the inner workings of a political campaign, presidential campaign. And he probably came in armed for bear, ready to go. Obviously, he did. He won. And now he's setting Washington back the way it should be. And it's a process. There's been lots of decades worth of damage done by the left and done by people who are the career who come in and basically just want to do the minimum and keep things going the way they are so they can do their 20, get their pension. I mean, that's all we heard about when it came to McCabe, his pension. That's the most thing that, that was that was what everybody was worried about. Never mind that he lied to Congress. But, uh, you know, you mentioned, Bob, that, uh, you know, the left likes to claim that it, it has some sort of a monopoly on compassion. But you have to take a look at the, the methodology there. And it is basically that they think it's compassionate to say something compassionate, as if that's 
something in and of itself, as opposed to doing anything, which they don't do. And what they do do is actually quite uncompassionate um, and quite self-serving. But putting that aside, I think the contrast is that you have someone like Donald Trump who doesn't speak compassionately necessarily. He can be insulting. He can be rude. But his actions and his policies have been very compassionate in terms of protecting and advancing American labor, American industry, American employment, uh, you know, and and um, basically strengthening the American economy. And there can be nothing more compassionate than that, helping people be independent and helping people find gainful activity that they can support themselves. That is the ultimate in compassion. So, you know, you can listen to people's hot air about compassion and you can take a look at what people do and decide who really is actually compassionate. Anyway, Bob, we're sort of toward the end here. So I would like you to take the opportunity, if you want, to talk a little bit about what you're doing right now. If you want to give out a website, um, you want to discuss what you're working on. Well, we're always looking for opportunities to do some behind the scenes um, video work. We'd like to try to expose the left and we're, we're working with um, various um, candidates um, informally trying to just get um, do what we can to help the Republicans um, try to keep their seats. I mean, it's, it's just the kind of thing that any citizens like to do on our website, blackandblondmedia.com. That's blonde with an E. Um, just make sure you don't get, end up going to someplace, um, someplace other. But uh, yeah, blackandblondmedia.com. Um, we're always putting out stories, um, opinion. We're we're not a news site. We don't. We've never broken news. That's something I've always found funny. Where a lot of and because again, journalism 101, you cannot break news unless you were there. Okay, <laughs> and so whenever you see, we get these email alerts from some of these conservative websites, and it says breaking, just so they rewrote and and put out a piece of a story that's uh, that might have happened 16 to 18 hours ago. Um, we just do commentary, and we try to look at things in not the same way, in the same vein as other people, because a lot of times it's groupthink especially on our side, which is very sad. And the, the few people who are outside of the box um, sometimes are a little bit too, um, I don't know, prissy. They, 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 don't, they want to show how much they know, and so they'll go in. But it, sometimes it just gets, it gets down to the basics, and, and sometimes we do, we do the vetting that it turns out a lot of our, our conservative leaders do not do. And so some, and, and as you know, back when I was in Massachusetts, um, I wasn't very popular because the, you know, when the Republicans needed to be called out onto the, in, you know, into the woodshed, um, I would do it. And, you know, I'm sorry. Um, it, it didn't, it doesn't, it wasn't a popularity contest. It was about the mission. It was about getting the, the Republican message out. And sometimes the messengers were just bad. Yeah. There you go. All right. So Bob Parks is here. Um, I want to thank you for joining me, Bob. But I, sh I should mention that my latest book is now available at Amazon, Assassination in America. And I shall return, God willing, tomorrow at 12 noon. Bob, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. And um, hopefully when next time we're up in uh, the Boston area, we'll just do lunch. Maybe we'll sit by side by side. And then with Lauren, we'll all, we'll, we'll all talk from one, 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 um, one place. Oh, we could do some fun broadcasting. We could even do some Oh, on the street type stuff, interviewing people. That would be oh. good. <laughs> Let's go to Cambridge. <laughs> right. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot.